Uh, I have a guest speaker this morning, uh, and actually it's both Gary and Melissa Ingram. Gary used to serve on my staff as a pastor up, up north and uh, comes out of a background of sexual brokenness. Now he is leading um, Love and Truth Network, which is training and equipping churches, pastors, leaders in helping them serve people in, in dealing with sexual and relational brokenness. I've said it before. I feel like I could sound like a broken record. It is the challenge of this generation. It is the big problem that we're up against. And uh, the issue of getting that all clear and straight from God's perspective. So this uh, service today, this message will be rated PG-13. It's not R. I just want you to know, look, you guys are really nervous, aren't you? That um, it's going to be forthright. It's not going to be very graphic. So if you are worried about uh, little pictures, little ears, uh, you take that into account. But it will, it will be a general audience, I think, somewhere between PG-13 and general, right? Somewhere in there? Close enough. And if not, you can... Uh, 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 have, write me a Dear John later right, letter. So I'm encouraging you this morning to welcome Gary and Melissa. They're both going to share, and they're going to introduce their precious children. And uh, I had the privilege of uh, hitching these two a few years ago, so I, I had something to do with this. Anyway, just a little bit. Please give them your kind attention. Thank you, guys. Good morning. Good morning. I was here, it's been several years ago now that I was... At least three. I yeah, yeah at least three. So you get to see my better half, Melissa, and you get to see the fruit of uh, part of the fruit of our relationship. So this is Jaden. He's not very happy that he's up here. And this is Dylan. He's quite excited that he's up here, actually. Can you wave, Dylan? So anyway, these guys are going to go down to Children's Church, but we just wanted to introduce you to our whole family. Anything you want to say about them, hon? No. They're okay. keep me busy. <laughs> Yes, yeah, they're sure. a blessing. <laughs> Come on, guys. Okay. Why don't you go you through the door? Know you, the ways, you know right? how to go down. Oh, here's your, here's your water. Your waters. Up, boys. Oh, no. oh, can you take both? both? <laughs> it's not either or. Bye. So, so basically with what um, Pastor John was sharing a moment ago about what, what we're going to be talking about, we really do feel like sexuality and relational brokenness and really the church being involved in restoring lives is a big part of our calling and our purpose, not just our calling, but the calling of the whole church. And so we certainly do not want to, we don't believe in being provocative for the sake of being provocative. We're not just uh, throwing things out there. Uh, but what we also know is that we live in a culture that is speaking into all of these issues. And they're speaking into these issues at the age of five and six and seven years old. Where little kids in public school are being indoctrinated uh, with issues of sexuality and identity in a way that... Um, uh, you know, that 20 years ago we would have never dreamt would even be possible. And so the church really does need, we believe, needs to step up to the plate and begin to redeem what God intended for sexuality, what God intended for identity, and, and begin to speak into those things in life-giving ways that are actually helping people come out of darkness. And the other thing we'd say about today is, honestly, it would be, um, it would, it would be very unfortunate if all you hear today is our story and a, and a little bit of what we're going to be sharing, what our hope is, everywhere we speak, and certainly this is true here for each of you, 
your, our story is going to be different than your story. Your story is going to be different than each other's stories. Uh, but what we're hoping for and what we've been praying for is that the Holy Spirit will touch every man and woman's heart. Any young person sitting in this room, that, that our story will simply be a method through which God touches your heart. And that the Holy Spirit shines light in your life on where you need further ministry, where you need further healing. And, and that God would use our story and some of what we want to share with you today to do that. Does that make sense? Can we agree to just be open to that, hopefully? Um, let me just share a little bit with you about Love and Truth Network. So, as Pastor John said, I, I worked on staff at Union Center Christian Church, the, prior, the church that he was at as senior pastor. And I came to that church really broken. I mean, a mess. I'll talk a little bit about that later on. But I worked on staff for about 12 years. And uh, after going through quite a, a lengthy period of, of healing. And... And then uh, Melissa and I both felt like God was kind of kicking me out of my comfortable nest of 12 years, which I wasn't entirely happy about, to say the least. And, but we really felt like the Lord is asking us or telling us that we needed to take the ministry that, um, that he had done in our lives and take it out to the church, not just in the four walls of Union Center and maybe a few churches around it, but to take it out to the broader church in the United States. And so we formed Love and Truth Network. And our ministry is primarily not so much about working with individual strugglers, whether that be somebody who's caught up in pornography addiction or homosexuality or any number of things, but it would be more about working with leaders and, and churches to help equip them to be the kind of environments where life change happens. We know people who have gone to church for 10, 20, 30 years, and they are stuck in serious, addictive patterns. A lot of brokenness in their marriages, a lot of brokenness in their relationships, a lot of, um, and oftentimes using the counterfeit of, of some sort of sexual brokenness to, uh, to mask what God intended for us in terms of real intimacy. And so uh, for churches to really minister to one another in, um, in, in powerful ways, that's what our ministry is really about, to equip Christian leaders to do that. So, yeah. Well, and the reason why we're focused on equipping the church and helping the church to develop a transformational environment is because then we have a place for all the people that have been sold a bill of goods that says basically do what you want and be happy when they realize that they've been sold you know, a bill of goods. They have a place to come that is healthy and, and whole enough a place where they can receive healing and transformation through Christ. But we have to look inward and focus on, you know, really our own healing first mm-hmm. in order to then be able to welcome those that um, will come later. And they will. They will come at, at alarming rates. But they will come to churches that actually make it known. They'll come to churches... I, I moved from Chicago, and I'm going to bounce around here a little bit. I lived in Houston, I lived in Arizona, I lived in Chicago, and a whole bunch of other places in between. And I, I left upstate New York and swore I'd never go back there again, which is sort of inevitable when you say that. You're going to wind up doing the, what you swore you're not going to do. I left when I was 19 and traveled all over the country with work and then just kind of running um, from life. And I wound up hearing about this church um, that Pastor John was pastoring, Union Center Christian Church. I keep hearing about it, but it was actually good gossip. Isn't that unusual for churches? It's usually the other way around, right? And yeah, and I kept, I, I'd hear about it in Houston. I'd hear about it in, in um, Arizona. When I got to Chicago, and, and my life was just, um, just, my soul was just rotting out from what I was doing, and yet I was addicted to my behaviors. 
I finally, and I was, professionally I was doing great, excelling, making lots of money, and I was covering the Midwest and Northeast territories, and so I would come back when I was, do, when I was working, I'd come back to the Northeast um, when I was in that area, and I would go to Union Center, and I thought, wow, this is amazing. This is different than any church I've ever been in. Lots of good churches I've been in around the country, but this is really unique because they're dealing with people coming out of adultery. They're dealing with people coming out of drug addiction. They're dealing with people dealing with um, mental uh, disorders and struggles. They're dealing with people that were coming out of um, sexual brokenness in a variety of ways. And so I sat across the table from my boss one night in Chicago, who is a Christian who's now on our ministry board, and I just I started crying. Not the typical kind of thing you want to do with your you know, sales manager, right? Uh, and, but he was a believer, and I just said, my life is, I'm, I'm dying. I've got to get out of here. And you can either fire me or transfer me. They decided to transfer me because of how well things were going um, in the business. And I, I came back, I emailed Pastor John at that point, and I said, um, I just kind of laid out, my life is devolved into adult bookstores and gay bars. I hate what I'm doing, but I can't get out of it. And he said, if you want to move back here, we'll walk alongside of you. Do you know how many people I could have sent that email to? How many other pastors I could have sent that email to? And they would have said, go find some help someplace else or don't come here. So my point in all that is, what Melissa just said is so true, that people are going to realize, because sexual sin rots the soul like nothing else. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 6 and 18, that it does something particular to the body to damage it in a way that other things don't. And so um, it's so important that the church prepares herself to receive broken people. But the first step in the church preparing itself is to get real about its own brokenness. Right. You can't help people into something that you yourself, we ourselves are not experiencing. So that's a lot of what we want to talk about today. And we go back to the foundation of when God established, laid out the foundations of the earth, really, for our ministry. Yes, which is in Genesis 1, um, 26 and 27. And Genesis, 20, Genesis 1, 27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And you can also see in Genesis 1, uh, 26, when then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And so it's important to remember, even as we, as we go through our presentation, is that God in his very nature in the Trinity is relational. And we are made in his image, male and female. I mean, that's very clear and and. The reality is is that gender is under major attack in our culture. But then also we were made for relationships. We need others in order to live a whole life. Yeah, would you agree that gender is under attack in our culture? And, um, but the attack didn't begin with the LGBT community. The attack began in the way that men and women did not honor one another as, as distinct and uh, very intentional image bearers of God. There's a way that Melissa bears the image of God that is very different than the way I bear the image of God. There's a way I bear it that's different. There's a way as we, we as men versus women bear that image that's supposed to reveal, um, it, it, it's really, it, we don't, as, as image bearers of God, we certainly do not begin to reveal who God is in his fullness, not by a long shot, but he very intentionally placed aspects of his image in the masculine and the feminine to, be re, uh, to reveal him on the earth. Do you follow us on that? And so what, if you're going to attack, if you're the enemy and you're going to attack something that has massive impact on the world, 
I think we're seeing the results of what he's really going after. It's not even about homosexuality or transgenderism. It's about the dismantling of gender. I mean, we read articles now that talk about the idea that, that uh, there's thousands of genders. I mean, that, that's kind of where we've come to. The gender really is irrelevant in every way, shape, and form. It's only the construct that, that we ourselves feel. And so we know from Genesis 1.27, though, that God created us male and female. There's those binary genders, and that was God's intention. So how do we live that out? Oh, you go ahead. And that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, what, what Gary is saying is that really with the feminist movement, which was a good thing in a lot of ways, there was an inequality, right? But in that, in that cry for equality, it became that we're the same, that, that women are the same as men. And the reality is, is we're not. And that's okay. We're equal, but we're not the same. And that it's actually the differences that increase intimacy, my strengths can compensate for his weaknesses, his strengths mm-hmm. compensate for my weaknesses, you know, in that, yep. that dynamic. Um, and that's whether you're single or married, yep. which is the other, that we could spend a whole sermon on that, but yeah. we won't. Well, let's look at, again, kind of a visual of what Genesis 126 and 27 is talking about and God's intention for how we relate. This is how it should be, right? We, um, we have got... Our parents and, and those that, uh, that we're, the family we're born into, God's intention was, think about this for a moment, God's intention and his plan and purpose was that we, each of us, were born into a perfect family. Didn't happen for any of us, though, did it? So the, to the degree to which we were, we may have been in a family that really loved us affectionately and loved us as well as they could, we still didn't get all of our needs met. Right, And then many of us were born into families that were not that at all. They might have been very well-intentioned, but because of mom's brokenness and dad's brokenness and all the stuff that they didn't work out, not that they were bad people or didn't try to love us. In some cases, they don't. But in most cases, they do, but they just do it in such a way that we don't even begin to get our needs met. There's lots of rejection, lots of other things. We'll talk about that. But it's God's intention that, our, that, that, that we, through attention, have deep and profound needs met. Right. And so God designed our families, you know, our close relationships to give us affirmation, um, confidence, endurance, endurance, meaning especially, you know, for men from their fathers, I can do it. I, I can actually be successful in life. I mean, how many people have 20 something children living with them and they are floundering? I mean, children who are, are incapacitated in their ability to make a way in the world. And it's because of a lack of fathers. We'll talk about and that. And I actually was reading an article last night as I was getting ready for bed, and I've seen the same stat before, that um, 40% of children born are born into single-parent homes, uh, usually single mothers. And so think about 40% of children are not being fathered well at all. And even those that have fathers in their homes, for example, many times uh, they're checked out doing their own thing, maybe workaholics, whatever. And so there's, a, there's an epidemic of relational brokenness that's happening at the very basic level in our most um, developmental years. And so as our needs, our emotional needs, our physical needs, um, you know, our spiritual needs even, as those are met... Um, you know, we become full. I mean, in essence, mm-hmm. um, we don't lack right. anything. And so, so that's sort of, you know, the ideal picture is how it should be. That we're filled in completely. 
But we go to James 4, 1 through 2, and we look at examples. We could look at many, many examples in Scripture. But here what James says is, what is the source of the quarrels and conflicts among you, he asks. Is not the source your pleasures? There's places in Scripture that talk about our pleasures, but also sensuality. This sensuality being really the pursuit of pleasure. And honestly, we in the States, I mean, we're hearing about Haiti being really poor. I mean, it's so poor in so many ways. And yet, relationally, this little boy is going to take this bead that he cares about and, and, and the one little thing that he has, and he's going to give it because he has the ability to connect relationally. He wants, I forget his name now, but he wants him to be able to take that home with him. And in so many poor cultures, financially poor cultures, what they have is a richness of relationship and community that we oftentimes don't experience at very real levels. So um, it's, it's our pleasures that wage war in our members. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. Many of us are going to read this and think, oh, that's not applying to me. I haven't killed anybody. Think a little bit more broadly than that. You are envious and cannot obtain. Does anybody here? St- I, I struggle with envy. I want what somebody else has. Mm-hmm. I'm not always rejoicing with those who rejoice. Sometimes I'm pretending I'm rejoicing with those who rejoice. But inwardly, <laughs> I'm like, dang. Well, and Facebook is a... Social media is a huge source of envy. Right. You see everyone's life picture perfect. And if you can become dissatisfied and envious extremely quickly. Yep. And so this really leads, so you fight, you quarrel, you do not have because you do not ask. That's another key phrase right at the end of that. To be able to ask, what does that require? Hmm. Humility. Humility. An inaccurate self-perception. So many of us don't feel like we need anything. That we've got it. We've kind of got it all together. We're right with Jesus. Things are good. And maybe that's true if there's been a lot of hard work. But if we haven't really received healing in our own areas of wounding from the past that have fed into our lives now, then those things are still festering. Time doesn't heal anything by itself. It just allows the infection to grow. What heals is the cross of Jesus Christ and his power on the cross and the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence in our lives when we bring it to him. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more too. So this kind of describes not what it, what it was intended to be, which is what we first looked at, but what actually happens to us. Right. So basically, we, all of us, hopefully, have gotten some of our needs met as we've, as we've grown up, as we've gone into marriage. Um, but... There, you can see there are gaps. There, yep. There's a lack there. There's a lack. Yep. So, um, and, you know, I would say, you know, growing up in my family, um, my parents did not get along. They, they say now, <laughs> um, and they've said for a long time that their marriage was troubled from the beginning. And we had everything that we needed physically. In fact, I think that they were keeping up with the Joneses, and I think they spent way more than they had in order to give us physical things. So we went on vacation, we did all of those things. But what was missing was actual emotional connection with my parents. And the way that my father responded to the conflict in their marriage was to just stay away. And so as I grew older, I have an identical twin sister and an older brother, um, my father was just more absent. He would stay away and I think he used sort of his business as the excuse and he was started just living another life on his own. Um, he had an affair, at least one, probably multiple affairs, things like that. 
And so there was definitely an abandonment and a neglect. My mother was working full time, and so um, my brother and my sister and I were left um, after school alone, latchkey kids, you know, in the 80s, um, really to fend for ourselves. And that didn't turn out well. With cable TV, um, there was a lot of smut on TV, and I actually found my father's pornography when I was about 12. That was extremely confusing. Um, and then my brother was physically violent. He had a horrible temper, and so did I. And so we would fight. I would always lose. And I just felt completely unprotected and unsafe. And so that affected me profoundly in my view of myself and of my relationships. Yeah, and something else we want to really stress here, too, is we're not about bashing parents. Right. We're parents. We hope that our sons don't grow up just to bash us. You know, they're going to grow up and need counseling. We're quite sure of that. We're <laughs> developing a savings account. But, you know, savings we're kind account. of preparing ahead. But my wife's a licensed counselor. So, um, uh, but... So, so we're not bashing parents by any stretch. But here, and there may be some sitting here in this room feeling like, why in the world are we even talking about this stuff in church? And again, the truth is, we need to desperately be talking about this stuff because, as I said earlier, we're all sexual and relational beings. And how do we steward that? How do we honor God in some of the most powerful areas of our lives mm-hmm. that we feel conflict with, that we're at odds with, with regard to the world and regard to our own flesh? So we have a new man or a new woman, but we still have our flesh. And how are we stewarding that? Most, many of us, I shouldn't say most of us, many of us, and the, and the numbers are huge, many of us are coming to church on Sundays, uh, this church and, and many other churches, um, we're coming to church on Sundays and we, we have a full-blown addiction that we, are, we don't know what to do with. We are so full of shame. We'll talk about that in a minute. But we're so full of shame we're not going to expose that to anybody. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're trying, so we live in this pattern of sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent, and this hopelessness that I'm probably never going to break free of this. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And the reason we share our story is because if God can deliver two people out of homosexuality and hundreds of others that we know, and when I say deliver, we're on the journey. I still deal with some levels of same-sex attraction, so does Melissa, but it's, it's something that, so what? We all deal with struggles, right? It's nothing that rule. It isn't something that rules our life any longer. Right. And and so I just I, I'm so um, encouraging you to as you're listening to us. What is it in your life? What? Uh, where are the gaps? You saw earlier where the blue kind of filled in all the areas of God's original intention that we were born into perfect families, that we received all that we needed through our families, through their relationship with God, through our relationship with God. But this is the reality. Some needs are met, but there's a whole bunch of dark spaces that are unmet and unfulfilled. Where is that in your life? And, and again, we, sometimes we misplace Paul's words of forgetting what lies behind and pressing on to what is ahead. We need to get healed up from what lies behind so that we can press on to what lies ahead. So another area, not only are there gaps in our lives, but there's also, there may be abuse. Mm-hmm. When I was five, six years old, I, I was, um, my, when I was born, my dad was not crazy about the fact that they were having another kid at all, to say the least. I was a surprise baby and not a happy surprise baby. My mom was 42 when they had me. My dad was 44. And yeah, I'm, the, I'm the youngest of five kids. And so my next oldest uh, sibling is five years older than me. So I have three older brothers and one sister. So my older brothers are hanging out with their friends. They're older enough, like our kids are, are two years apart, 
there is quite a gap between me and my next older brother and certainly my other ones. And so they're hanging out with their friends. They don't want their little kid brother, you know, running around with them. That's understandable. But for me, I don't, I can't get that. I don't understand it. It feels like I'm getting shoved out of their world. They don't want me there. Mom had foisted me off onto them. They don't want me there. And so I kind of got dragged around and it was obvious they didn't want me. My, my dad really didn't warm up to me until much, much later in life. We developed a very close relationship later. And um, I'm very thankful for that. But that didn't heal the damage that took place through all of those developmental stages of my life. So at the age of five or six, I'm coming home on the school bus, was usually beaten up at school and, uh, and picked on at church, that kind of thing. Um, and what I determined pretty early on was that the only safe place for me to be was in the world of girls. I stayed bonded with my mom, didn't really form a bond with my dad, uh, was really connected to my, old, to my one sister, and then girls at school, girls at church. So these boys came back and asked me um, if I wanted, on the bus, if I wanted to um, come over and, and uh, uh, play with them after school. I thought, wow, I, I've never asked this. So I, I said yes, I went home and I changed, I went over, and all they wanted to do, because their dad wasn't home, they went in and they got their dad's hardcore porn and started flipping page after page for um, Dylan is our youngest, he's going to be six. So for my little Dylan, that was me, looking at this hardcore pornography, and it totally set my life on a different trajectory. And, and what I saw is nothing compared to what most kids are seeing these days on the internet and all that. Do you understand that? You, you know that, right? And, and so the, when the abuse comes in on top of having all of these gaps and, and, play, and holes in our life, it can, be, it can take on a powerful mm-hmm. experience. So, yeah, so we've already talked about those, the black area being areas of need. And so um, children developmentally, um, they, they believe that they cause everything that happens around them. It's called magical thinking. And, um, and they just think that they're sort of the center of the universe. I mean, just watch my son, Jaden. <laughs> and it's healthy. Yeah, Jaden thinks you're all here to see him probably more than likely. Right. So. Um, and that's good. Really, because he's developed a, that confidence and that assurance, and he's just happy to be around, and he's very social. Um, but for kids, anyway, so in that magical thinking, if there are bad things going on, it is, it's almost all of us do it. We believe that we caused what's bad to happen to us. Mm-hmm. It's my fault. And so we can develop a sense of shame. And it's more than just, I did something bad. That's guilt. That's a good thing. When, that, when, we, when we do something wrong, we feel bad about it. That's not what we're talking about. Guilt should drive us to God um, in repentance, that we confess it, we're forgiven, it's dealt with. Shame says, there is something wrong with me. It's, it's a sense of being flawed, uniquely flawed in some way, without hope for change. So it's, it's toxic shame. It's, it's this sense that if people really knew me or if they knew this about me, they wouldn't like me. They would leave me. They would reject me. And so often with areas of neglect, abandonment, areas of abuse, we carry around this shame. And, and that really causes us to hide mm-hmm. and to, um, yeah, to not want to be known by other people. Yeah. So we have uh, ways that we develop coping and addiction, uh, addictive uh, patterns in order to make up for, in order to kind of fill in the gaps. It may be something that's sexual, could be food, materialism, workaholism, chemical dependencies, drugs, alcohol, relationship addiction. I mean, anything. 
put anything yep. in their TV. It's whatever we use to fill the emptiness inside. Yep. So again, as you're listening to this, what is that for you? And I, I would be most concerned, honestly, and we're not asking you to raise hands, right? Um, but I'd be most concerned for the, for the person that says, I don't have any of that. I was just at a conference uh, two weeks ago for, uh, for a ministry that I'm on the board of that's a national ministry. And it, it's a ministry focused primarily on helping people who have unwanted same-sex attraction or are dealing with transgenderism, and they want help and support. And, and they, it's something in them knows that that's not God's design for them. That's not where they want to go. And so they actually are, are looking for support. This ministry is not going in and dragging people out of gay bars and trying to proselytize them. We're simply here for people who come to us looking for help and support. And so... Um, we were, we, there were threats of over a thousand picketers at this thing. And so we went into it uh, pretty, it was in, in San Diego, Southern California. We went into it pretty cautiously. But instead, we, there turned out to be on, on, the, on the two days, maybe 15 the first day, maybe 20 or 30 on the second day, protesters. But one of the things that one of the main, um, one of the general session speakers said, and, and we wanted to be so kind and so gracious and so loving for them, for where they were at, and, and, not, um, and, and not in any way respond to the way that they were kind of responding to us, calling us haters and torturers of children and all this kind of stuff. And uh, that's what was going around on the news about us and all that kind of thing. So, um, but, one of, but the signs, many of the signs, most of them read something. There was something on there about, I'm not broken. There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with homosexuality. And the, and the, the leader of this um, uh, general session pointed out, that's one of the scariest things we can say about ourselves. And the reason it's so scary is because Jesus came to save the sick. I'm sick. I'm in desperate need of a savior. Those who come to Jesus, hopefully are coming to him knowing that I am in desperate need of grace and I need grace all the way through the process. I don't, it, I don't just need grace once. I need grace through the whole process. Right. So for anyone who feels like, oh, I don't have any issues, really. I mean, I'm really good with God, and there's no problem whatsoever. I don't, there's, no more for me, there's no more for me to grow except maybe gaining more information. The truth is we have so much information we don't even act on as Christians. We That's take right. in more and more and more and more and think that we're doing something good by taking in more information, but are we really acting on it? I didn't for a long time. I still struggle with that at times. But the truth is, it's those who say, I am broken, mm -hmm. and I need help and support that are going to find Jesus there to meet them. Do you follow? Yes. And so J James goes on again, James 4, um, 8 through 10. And uh, it says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James is, James is so warm and fuzzy, isn't he? I mean, you know, he just, he just cuts to the chase. Right. And, but you know what? I would have chafed against this whole thing many years ago, and I did, which didn't benefit me. But there is a season mm -hmm. for sitting with the reality of my sin. And, it, and it's, it's not the idea that I, just, that I just go inward into this deep depression. or an all, But no, there's an accurate assessment. My goodness, Lord, how I've damaged the lives of those around me. How selfishly I've lived and I have turned away from you for so long. He says, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Mm -hmm. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. But this is the beauty. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. That's, there's so much hope and so much promise in that. But we have to be willing to admit 
our brokenness and our sickness. So, um, as a result of, you know, our areas of need, our areas of woundedness, um, you know, the ways that we cope, and, and, and this is important, we haven't said this, that it's often the ways that we've been wounded that feed into our areas of sin. So if, 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 mm-hmm. if you've struggled with something and it's just been really, like you just have not gotten free of it. And like he was saying, in this cycle of confess and repent, confess and repent, and you keep doing it, there's probably something else that's tied into that particular sin area for you. Um, that's feeding that. And until that wound is exposed, you're really not going to experience the level of freedom that God intended because there's a reason you're still doing the same thing over and over and over. And then, so we have coping and addictions. And then we come into church. And I, I know that when I came to Christ, it was I, I had just um, ended a lesbian relationship. I was broken. Um, I... I came to Christ realizing that I had been deceived into believing that just because it felt right, that that's who God had created me to be. And I, I came into church, and I immediately got a sense that it was not okay to talk about. I, I couldn't even say the word lesbianism. It wasn't okay to talk about my impure thoughts, my, the other things I would do that I had been exposed to as a kid. Um, and so I put on this, this false self that basically said, I have everything together. And so this is often what you'll find in church is, and, and <laughs> I always laugh. You know, I'm trying to get my kids out the door, and I'm like screaming at them on the way to church, right? Get in the car. Where are your shoes? I told you five minutes ago, get your shoes on, right? We're going and to we, praise and worship. Let's go. We're going to go to right, church. Right. That church. only happens with us, I'm sure, right? Yeah. Right? Nobody else has that struggle, right? <laughs> and so you get, you pile in the van, you're driving down the road, you know, whatever. One of my kids is crying, you know, and they, they get it together and we go into church. Oh, how are you this morning? We're fine. Right? I mean, and that's just one example. Um, and so this false self, it can look like many things. You know, like Gary would say, he was, he was um, performing extraordinarily well in his business life, mm-hmm. but his personal life was a disaster. Um, and so it's important, especially, and if you've grown up in church, then you've been around this a lot, that and a false self can be the good girl, it can be a good boy, it can be the woman who never says no to anything, so anything that I'm asked to do, I do it because no one else is going to do it. Um, the workaholic, it can be a religious self, all of that to cover everything else that we've been talking about. Yeah, and it's, it's oftentimes the religious false self that um, is the hardest to put to death in our lives because it's through the religious false self, the good girl, the good boy, whatever, it's through that that we have achieved our greatest accolades. Everybody loves us in church because we're willing to do whatever it takes to do whatever. And, and it's out of our... Do you understand that when we're doing it that way, not, uh, um, if, if we're not doing it out of our wounding or out of a false self, and we're just serving because God's given us a particular gift and we love to do that, and we're saying yes to that, and we can also say no at times we need to, that's a good thing. We're not saying that that's bad. But when we're serving out of our brokenness, out of, out of trying to mm-hmm. uh, cope with our brokenness... And, and mask it over, or trying to pay God back in some way. Do, do you all know what I'm talking about? When we do that, 
we're actually reinforcing the brokenness. We're not getting better. And, um, and that, like I said, that is the hardest thing. When we get a lot of praise for the, uh, for the religious false self, that is a hard thing to put to death. Right. Because we don't know who in the world we are without that. And who is going to love us or care for us if we don't do say yes to everything? And yet it's such a reflection of our brokenness. So look at this list. You know, it, it's, it, there's plenty of other things that could have been on there. But could you benefit from deeper healing? In any of these areas, in fear, insecurity, are there marital problems that are just going um, unaddressed, emotional dependency, codependency, pornography addiction, effects of abuse? My brother and sister-in-law, he's a pastor. Uh, they have a whole ministry that's focused on exposing and, de- and helping people deal with sexual abuse in the church. And, they, and it is rampant. They'll go to these little tiny uh, churches. I'm sure in this group there are a number of you, boy, men and women, who have been sexually abused um, as kids before you were an adult in the church in the church in the church in christian families by in christian families maybe by relatives that should have been trusted maybe by uh, somebody in the church itself but they are constantly speaking in these little churches these little places and these sweet little 70 and 80 year old women will come up and say i've never told anybody this but i was sexually abused by a deacon in, in my church when i was a little girl etc um that's just one area and inability on the other one inability to trust hmm. That's oftentimes a huge problem. I hear Christians talk about that all the time, as if, um, as if they have, as if that's um, not an area of brokenness. Like I just don't trust people. Well, probably because you, it's been shown to you over and over again that people are not very trustworthy through your developmental years. But that isn't where Jesus wants to leave us. Jesus wants to, us to be able to open up and share with trustworthy enough people and for us to become that kind of person for somebody else where we will hold their, um, their secrets, their difficulties, their, their confessions in, in confidence and minister one to another. Right. So do you want to read this one? Yeah. So James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. If you had cancer or whatever, whatever the disease might be, and a doctor prescribed this amazing um, new pill that's come out that's, that's had phenomenal effects, and you decided, no, I don't want to take that. I just want to take a vitamin C. I hear that's really good. You know, I don't, I don't want to take that pill. I want to take any number of these other pills. And you're mad because as you're doing it and you're, you're ignoring the prescription and you're doing this other thing, you're not getting better, you're getting worse. And you're getting angry. Is your anger justified? That's what we do with God. God gives us a prescription for healing. His prescription for forgiveness is what we use for healing too. What we think is for healing. Confessing our sins to him. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We love that passage. John, Pastor John has often mentioned that as being the, the, the best mental health verse in the whole scripture, mm-hmm. 1 John 1, 9. But this passage, and if you back up from 1 John 1, 9 to 1 John 1, 7, it says, walk in the light as he is in the light, and you'll have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. We need to walk in transparency with one another. Doesn't that excite you and make you really happy this morning? <laughs> but it's the one prescription. Right. If you're not going to take it, if you're not going to be willing to actually get real with people, with certain people, not everyone, but I think about the fact that 
Um, I don't I don't know where this church is at. John, Pastor John and I rarely even talk anymore. I mean, we, we love one another. It's always a joy to come here. Mm. But I don't know what's going on in this place. But what I do know is John was the pastor who said, you can move here from Chicago with all of your brokenness. It was vile, all the stuff that I was wrapped up in and trapped in. And we will walk with you. You have a pastor here who God has blessed you with. He didn't slip me a, a 50 bucks or a hundred bucks to say this or any of that kind of thing. You have a pastor here though. I mean, I'm telling you for your own well-being, there's nothing you can't go to him and talk with him about. It's true. I'm telling you that from personal experience. Melissa has an experience too. I mean, share that. Yeah. After dinner last night, I said, oh, Gary, maybe I should share this. So we, um, we got engaged in upstate New York, and we did our premarital counseling, not with one pastor, but two. So it was Pastor John and another pastor, Craig. Um, and you said, well, that's how messed up we were. Yeah, we, we needed, needed two, two pastors, pastors. Not one, but yeah. Um, which wasn't really true. We, we did have some issues, yeah, that we needed to work out. But um, somewhere in this process of premarital counseling, um, I knew that I had to, I had to tell them, um, that I was having these thoughts, they would just come sort of randomly that, and I don't know if you remember this, that I would not be able to be faithful to Gary. Now, I was not thinking that consciously, but it would, it would come and it would just be like, you will not be able to be faithful to because? Gary. Because why? I don't remember the why. Your mom's own history. Well, yeah. And so um, both of my parents had been unfaithful to each other. And so here I am knowing I have got to come in to this premarital counseling. I did not know Pastor John and Pastor Craig well at all. And, and so I'm coming into this room with three men, my future husband and these two pastors. And I had, but I had to confess it. I could have kept it quiet. Nobody needed to know. I didn't have to tell Gary, right? I could have just tried to handle it on my own and just not say anything, just say, oh, that's ridiculous. Um, but I, I shared it. I said, look, I'm having this thought that I am not going to be able to be faithful um, to Gary. And that was embarrassing. I mean, it was shameful. But as soon as I did that, and, and John started taking notes on my family history, which is, it's sorted and it's perverted. My parents are sexually broken. They just are. Um, and I love them very much. We just spent two weeks with them, really trying to help them and things like that. Um, then we were able to pray through some significant generational strongholds that were influencing me that, that I, I was vulnerable to, and I needed help in order to break through those things. And I tell you what, we prayed, the lights didn't flash, you know, the window didn't blow open, but something changed that day. Mm -hmm. From that day forward, I had a new purity in my thinking that I had not had prior to that day. And, and it would it have never happened if she had kept it to herself. That wouldn't have happened. Uh, so, you know, so I think a lot of what we're sharing with the church about and, and sharing with you about this morning, you know, really has to do with this bigger vision of, of God's calling and purpose in our lives. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But let's just look for a second. When there are things in our lives that God will not do for us. God calls us to do certain things for ourselves. What we're able to do for ourselves, God expects us to rise up and to be obedient, to follow him, 
John 14 says that if you love me twice, it says this. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. And so this idea of love has gotten completely messed up in, in, in our understanding, oftentimes in the church as well. But we need, desperately need God in our lives. But So what God is call, calls us to do, what he calls me to do in my life, he will not do, nor can community do for me. But what God alone can do, I cannot do either. And that's where many of us as Christians are, is we're, we're trying to do things that only God can do for us, or maybe even actually more importantly, I think, or more honestly is, we're okay with God doing things for us and for us doing things for us, but we sure are not okay with community doing things for us, except maybe providing a pickup and helping us move our home or, I mean, you know, uh, tangible kinds of things. But for them to really know us and for them for, to get into the muck and mire, to face our own shame and our own fear, yes, right. men and women, yep. uh, we desperately need God to use community in our lives in a way that, um, so it goes back to that idea of the prescription we go to God for forgiveness, and we're also expecting him to heal us in that, same con- in that same moment. He forgives us, but he calls us to get into community and to speak it out like Melissa just shared, to speak out what's going on with us so that we can actually be healed. That's what James 5.16 is talking about. You saw that, right? But do, do we do it? Rarely. And yet that's that. If you want to move. So here's the, here's the big deal. You guys are so close to the city, New York City. You're right by Middletown. You're in a, you're in a huge area of the country uh, in, in terms of influence, in terms of numbers. Mm-hmm. And so I know growing up in church, I, often, I just sort of developed this idea about God. I, I, I didn't see God as loving or caring or any of those things. I just saw church as kind of a rote experience. And, um, but I did not have in any way or shape or form a bigger vision for what my life was about. Your life, our life, your life is about something eternal. And God has put you here. He's filled you with his spirit. He first and foremost, even as an unbeliever, his image was in you as a man and as a woman. And in Christ, all of that can come to life. All of that can be redeemed. And the purpose of it isn't just to come to church on Sunday. And I'm saying this simply because I understand where so many churches, just from going and talking and listening so many churches are at, our purpose is not just to come to church on Sunday. And, and, and I know none of us think in the, in the idea of just punching a time card, but what are we really doing about transforming the culture around us? First, in order to be able to do that, we need to allow God to transform us. Right. We need to allow God, every man needs a band of brothers in the body of Christ and every woman needs a band of sisters. If you don't have that, you're not healthy. You're not living out the call of scripture of James 5.16. You're not living out this idea of God breathing into our lives, of community speaking into our lives and really being known in deep and profound ways. So, is there anything you want to add to that? They're like, oh, goodness, I hope they never come back here again, right? So, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so what do you do? What are some practical things that you can do? One of them is an obvious one and is to, uh, is to reach out to someone who I know is not going to condemn you. Right. He's heard it all. He's dealt with all kinds of things, spiritually speaking, demonic stuff, as well as, as 
uh, areas that we, where there's wounding and brokenness. Mm-hmm. And, there, and I'm sure there are some other people in the church that, that John would say, you know, the, the, this would be a good woman for you to pray with, or this would be a good man for you to pray with or to walk alongside of. This church, churches, can be transformed to be powerful witnesses and, and, and rescuers of the community around them Right. When the good gossip starts to spread in the community about what an amazing church this is, that this isn't just a church that does church on Sunday, and it's not just a church that has some really great programs, but it's a church that loves sinful people and wants to see them restored in relationship to Jesus, and they're willing to roll up their sleeves and get in the mess. And you know what? That's going to stand out because most churches are not willing to do that. So first we need our own healing. You know, when I fly, I, every, I hear all the time, I'm sure many of you do too, if you travel much, the, the whole safety thing before you take off. And one of the things they, uh, they always say is, if the oxygen masks fall, I always, you know, that's never happened thankfully so far to me. But if the oxygen masks fall, put, the, put your own on first and then assist your child or somebody else with you. So often in the body of Christ, we actually are doing the opposite. <laughs> you know, we're running out of gas, we're running out of oxygen trying to help somebody else when we're really broken so let's, let's get honest and real um, with one another in ways that are really um, uh, possible. And again, Pastor John can help in tremendous ways with, with forming that. So can we uh, just, I know we went a little bit over, can we just uh, stand for a moment and just pray? Hmm. Lord, I pray that um, the mercy of your spirit. Yes, Lord. Lord, I, I ask that you would draw yes, Lord. your sons and your daughters, these men and women, our brothers and sisters. Lord, would you keep drawing them? Thank you, God, that it is, it is, it is your cord of kindness that, mm. that, that draws us. It is your kindness that brings us to repentance. And yet kindness oftentimes is not just soft and simple and easy. So, Lord, I pray that whatever we in this room need yes, Lord. to be willing to yield, to be willing to bow a stiff neck. Lord, if, if we're wrestling, maybe not with sexual addiction, maybe we're wrestling with self-righteousness. Maybe we think that we're so clean that we're more like the Pharisee next to the publican who, um, who is just thankful that he's not as screwed up as whoever, as culture, as all these per- perverted people or whatever, and yet... It's actually those who are really broken and recognize it that are closer to your kingdom. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would draw these good men and women Mm -hmm. further and further into authentic... The the reason they were made, it's not for their job. It's not for uh, for just getting through the day and getting through the week and the year. But it's, it's, Lord, for an eternal purpose. Yes, Lord. It's for your eternal purposes. It's to expand the kingdom, your kingdom, on this earth one soul at a time. And so, Lord, help us to lay down our idols. Help us to, uh, to, to put to death our fear and, and take hold of courage and act immediately. Not to sit in our human reasoning and think of all the reasons why we shouldn't, but to act immediately, to take the next step and follow through on it, to, to receive the help and the support, to be able to really embrace change and then be able to affect uh, in powerful ways, in positive ways, Uh, our loved ones around us and the culture around us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Gary and Melissa, for being with us.
with us. Thank you. Let's express our appreciation for them. Close in prayer. If anybody wants to come talk to them, they're here for a few minutes. And uh, me too. And you put my job on the line. Holy cow. So let's pray. Lord, put your angels around our people. Guard us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that we have, what we have heard is true. You're the God who rebuilds us from the inside out. Help us trust you. Bless our Haiti team. Bless uh, Gary and Melissa and their boys and their ministry, we pray. In the great name of Jesus, amen. Amen. God bless. Have a great day.